Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen, and I'm joined today by Father Bouquet, our president. Welcome, Father. Hi, Colleen, great to be with you once again. It's great to be here, Father. And today we're going to be discussing the connections between IVF and contraception, which at surface level, they might seem contradictory because in vitro fertilization is supposed to create a child while contraception is trying to avoid a child, but they're actually very connected. And so, Father, let's just jump into that. On a philosophical level, an ideological level, let's start there. How are contraception and IVF two sides of the same coin. So I think, you know, Colleen, we'd just be able to begin by talking about, you know, the nature of what we're, we're speaking about. So mm-hmm. let's start, you know, with the human person. So we know okay. that the human person is made in the image and likeness of God mm-hmm. as an alienable dignity. And as a result, there are certain actions that bespeak of that dignity uh, and affirm that dignity uh, and advance that dignity. Mm-hmm. And there are certain actions which the human person is never to uh, employ or to participate in, which would contradict that dignity. Mm-hmm. We call them evil. And in our Catholic language, we call them sinful. Mm-hmm. So, but I think that's the first starting point. Now, from mm-hmm. that, once we have a clear understanding of this dignity of the human person, mm-hmm. and so when the human person then participates in certain actions, so as we know that the sexual act, the conjugal act, as we call it in Catholic language, is only to be shared between a husband and wife. Mm-hmm. So now we have to step back. So what's the nature of marriage? What's the nature of the conjugal act? And so by discussing the dignity of marriage and that marriage is meant to be always fruitful, indissoluble and exclusive, fruitful, very important to remember. So that means that there are two ends of marriage that the church speaks of. And that is the procreative and the unitive end. And they are inseparable. And that's the most important thing for us to really begin with is the inseparability of these two ends of marriage. So the Why does the church teach that? Can you because, explain that a bit for our listeners of why the church says that every sexual act must be open to life? Sure, because because we're returning back to the nature of a thing. So what is it for? So when you think about the, the sexual act, the conjugal act, so when a couple enters in, so this way to maybe summarize it is that when a couple enters into this, this most intimate of unions between each other, this intimacy between each other, mm-hmm. that they are cooperating also in, in something so beautiful and, and, and because it's meant to be procreative and unitive by the procreative openness, they're saying that they're, well, they're open to the gift of life. They're actually petitioning God through this act, who is the giver of every life, mm-hmm. to grant life, to, to bless this natural union, and, so, and to bless the self-donation of egg and sperm that man, woman, give to each other freely. And as a result, that very natural act is always open to a third person, trusting. It's also unitive because it bonds them to each other. It, it creates such an intimacy between each other that it, it, it furthers their friendship, furthers their love, strengthens them in good times and bad times. In other words, it, it gives efficacy to the vows that they made that I promise to be good to you. And you know, we, we know those vows, but that's the nature of the thing that we're speaking about. So the nature of marriage, the nature of the sexual act, and to do anything contrary to the very nature for which it has been created is to abuse that act, to, in other words, to make a different kind of act. We're changing the act. We're replacing the act with something. So that's how we would approach the subject then of contraception, and that's how we would approach the subject of in vitro fertilization. 
Okay, so then why isn't vitro fertilization bad? Because that is still the couple welcoming a child. They're just not doing it through the sexual act. So if a couple can't conceive through the sexual act, why would it be wrong for them to use in vitro fertilization? So in a way, you answered it by, by the good question. And that is, so we all know that contraception, let's start with the first, mm-hmm. and that is contra is always, it's against something. It's against the conception. Mm-hmm. So literally a method is being employed to prevent the possibility of fertilization, of conception. So mm-hmm. we've changed the act. We've changed the, the marital act, the conjugal act, sexual mm-hmm. act, into something different by changing its nature. And so now if we turn it to IVF, so as you said, but IVF is whole method is and, and purpose as mm-hmm. in vitro fertilization is to create a child. Yeah. Language to beget a child. But now we have to go back to the nature of where a child is to be begotten. Mm -hmm. A child is not a thing. A child is not a commodity. A child is not something I'm entitled to. A child is a gift, as in every human being is a gift. And where has God employed that gift to be welcomed within the conjugal act? So in in vitro fertilization, we have replaced husband and wife here, even though it might be a husband and a wife have donated sperm and egg, mm-hmm. but now it's the technician that replaces the conjugal act. The technician, in a way, replaces God. Mm-hmm. So an artificial means has been employed that to now bring the egg and, and sperm together, and then the technician, through a technical means, is going to then place the now embryo, mm-hmm. now fertilized egg, an embryo, a human being, a child, a yeah. child into the womb of the mother, right? The natural, you know, environment where a child is to be welcomed and to be implanted and to grow and and to mature and and develop into a a child that can be born. So if you hear the language here, so it's not the husband and wife that have in their own union, there's no union here. There's no act of union here. And the act itself though procreative, in other words, we've created, we've begotten, we've engendered a child, it is not the, 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 the nature of how a child is to be begotten. So we've changed the act again. We've turned it into something that it is not. It's also taking away the unitive part of it too, because of they're not furthering their relationship in that way. Exactly. And so in, and it goes back to what I said in the beginning that, you know, for, for our couples, and here we're just being obviously very sensitive, there are couples who struggle with infertility. Mm-hmm. And I know we're going to do something later a little more in detail on this. But so as I'm, we're speaking, we always are very sensitive to the struggles and the mm-hmm. difficulties, the cross of infertility. Yeah. But again, as I said earlier, that the church's teachings is very clear. A person is not entitled to a child because a child is a gift, not a thing. And even though the want and the desire and the, uh, the longing for a child in marriage is a natural thing, because why? Because the normal, um, uh, in a sense, what I mean by normal is that when a couple marries and they're open to the beauty of life, of course, the acts that they do in the, in the sexual bond between each other in this conjugal act is open to life. They've done nothing to to, to stifle life. And they're hoping open. that they're they'll hoping. receive a child. So that's a natural thing. It's because why? Because this union in its nature is always open to the gift of life. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, there is a difficulty, whatever that reason may be. But then the mindset gets into here where all of a sudden we move from accepting the gift of God. And sometimes God's answer is no, for some reasons that we cannot explain. Mm-hmm. And so but then all of a sudden it can move to a sense of entitlement. 
and it changes the mind and then it be changes the act that a person does. And then they fall into this, this uh, trap of in vitro fertilization, which people don't think about in its fullness because we're not speaking about the beginning or the creation of one human child, a human embryo. It's multiple uh, eggs that are fertilized. Yeah. And, and then as we know from the procedure, that because they wanted to ensure mm-hmm. that, uh, that uh, a child is, uh, is implanted within the womb, that they um, place multiple embryos within the womb. Mm-hmm. And then you have selective abortion and so forth and so on. So that's a different side of it. I was going to say, but even if that wasn't happening, like even if they found a way to do in vitro fertilization right. with one egg, one sperm, right. no discarded embryos, no children right. dying, it would still be wrong. Exactly. Because the nature of the act itself is intrinsically evil. So basically both contraception and IVF treat children like commodities of something to either be obtained or avoided at the parent's will. Correct. And they both separate sex from babies. Contraception says you can have sex without babies. IVF says you can have babies without sex. And so both of those are undermining what the sexual act is actually for. And the nature of marriage. And the nature of marriage. And I think that's important because we live in a world that no longer sees the dignity of marriage, no Mm -hmm. longer, you know, uh, recognizes that the the sexual union between man and woman is only to to be expressed uh, in that in, in that in that relationship of marriage. Do you think with IVF, the couples are also treating the other like a commodity, like a wife treating the husband as the sperm producer so she can have a child, or vice versa? Well, it can be. I mean, obviously, we we know the same thing happens in contraception. Well, that's what I was about to say. Is I know with contraception, you have that where you're using the other person for sexual enjoyment, basically. Right. And I was wondering if that same kind of going against the human dignity of your spouse, like in a sense. Right not loving your spouse through using contraception, if that also applied with IVF, if it's also, a way to use your spouse as a commodity. Sure. I think because what happens is we begin to, the ends justify the means. In other mm-hmm. words, I have an, an, an end that I'm attaining here. A mm-hmm. child is a good. It's not yeah. there's nothing, uh, the child, but the idea, but the means by which I've employed. So, uh, and obviously can, most couples don't go right. into it thinking that they're not like, Oh, we're using contraception. Right. I must not, I'm trying to use my spouse, right. but right. that's what it, it creates, it creates that mindset and eventually yeah. it sets up the framework, you know, because eventually what happens is, you know, you can see, and you hear this in couples that struggle with infertility, mm-hmm. you know, because they, it might be one or both that mm-hmm. have medical difficulties. And we know that sometimes, you know, as a, as a priest and hearing people's difficulties will say, you know, uh, this one spouse who knows that it's them that has the difficulty, mm-hmm. you know, feels guilty, yeah. you know, so I can turn that around and, you know, and see how, what you're expressing could very much become a reality mm-hmm. in the mindset of approach, you know, that, uh, and I think what's important is really to pull back always to the nature of a thing. What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. And so because we're talking about a human person that is meant to always be treated with respect in every moment, in every situation, and through any act, we also want the flourishing of mm-hmm. every human person. So when a couple, married couple, are struggling in this area, they need each other even more. The the in the nature of their love is to support each other in good times and in bad, and never to uh, belittle the other, never to make the other think anything other than that they are loved and that they are respected always in every situation, even as they face this cross of infertility. And so again, that's a different way of approach, but it starts with the nature of something, and it respects that nature. And in here, we're respecting the nature. The, of, a, of a natural order that there is a reason why and we accept that 
And as we also know from church teaching in Donum Vitae uh, and other church documents, that there are uh, licit means of intervention that can assist a couple mm-hmm. to become pregnant. So licit means moral. Mm-hmm. And then there are means that are not licit. And all means that, re- that replace the couple, mm-hmm. replace the husband and wife, are never licit. Or replace the sexual act. That's correct. Yeah. Like in vitro fertilization is. Yeah, exactly. It's also interesting because contraception and IVF seem to be connected on a practical level as well. Because, well, in the first place, women who are going to be going through IVF are placed on birth control pills to override her natural hormones so that they can then give her the drugs needed to harvest the extra eggs and throughout for the process. So it's interesting that even within the process of IVF, there's this quote unquote need for birth control pills, that that's something that's utilized by the scientists, I guess, whoever's performing that technician. Doctors Um, and nurses. and and Yeah. But it's also interesting because it seems logical because contraception does affect a woman's fertility. It doesn't necessarily cause infertility, but when women are on birth control pills, hormonal birth control pills, they're taking synthetic hormones to override their natural hormones. So in doing that, you're going to be disrupting her fertility cycles, which could lead to short-term infertility when she gets off of, horm- of hormonal contraception. And then I believe the studies say it doesn't usually lead to long-term infertility. But I also know of women who have struggled with that, so I'm not sure of at least the short-term. So anyway, it's just an interesting connection because it's going to be... And each woman is different. In, yeah. Right. So the, each effect and consequence are different. Mm-hmm. So like officially the studies say it doesn't cause infertility, but I have at least heard stories of people who have suffered with in short-term infertility coming off of it. That's why it's important, you know, for, you know, in, what we see in, in, in the mission mm-hmm. world, where sadly, for reasons we've already discussed here, for issues of depopulation and population control, mm-hmm. that in many cases, when these chemical hormones are made available uh, to women, uh, mm-hmm. there never ever any discussion of any medical consequence. Yeah. None of the side effects that are there and the real reality of what those consequences could be short term and long term. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and which again, there's no informed consent here. It's misinformation or no information. Mm-hmm. And I really believe a lot of times uh, many women, you know, who are not intending to prevent human life, you know, from ever being conceived mm-hmm. uh, within marriage later in life, never set out on that course that way, thinking, mm-hmm. you no. Know, they they make a decision and you know which is uh, against again the nature of the human being but but the idea is they never set a course thinking long term they're looking at a short term situation and but never realizing there are potentially long term impacts mm-hmm. uh, that eventually will show themselves especially as as a person gets older and the longer use of a certain yeah well that was one of the things that birth control does hormonal birth control is lining the thinning of the endometrium. Um, the thinning is that the lining of the uterus, I believe, is the official. Yeah. And so it thins that so that the embryo can't implant, which is why hormonal birth control is also an abortifacient. It right. causes the silent what abortion is, where the embryo actions. is starved. But by doing that, it's going to be thinning it. And so the longer you're on birth control, it's going to take a woman's body longer to kind of recover from that, make the lining get thicker again so that I can actually receive a child. So that's some of the reasons it causes short term and also changes the cervical mucus. And there's one doctor and I don't remember his name, but I'll try to put it in the notes. And his study, he's the only one who's done the study. So I think, I think it was a small test group. I'm not sure. But he was doing 
research about cervical mucus. And he was saying that for each year that a woman is on hormonal birth control, her cervix ages an extra year. And that's why women who have been on it for a very long time can struggle to produce the type of mucus that's actually going to help a sperm stay healthy in order to get to the egg on time. So those are just some of the practical reasons of why women who are on a hormonal birth control for a long period of time can then struggle with infertility either short-term or long-term. So you can think of a woman who's been on it since her teens, gets to be in her like 35, 40, or getting closer to 40, where infertility tends to dip off. And if she's been on hormonal birth control all that time, realizes she doesn't have a lot of time left to have a child, goes off of it, but now her body needs a longer period of time to be able to recover, she might be tempted to turn to IVF because she's struggling. She's not able to conceive. So then IVF looks tempting because she knows that she doesn't have much time left to carry a child. So it's interesting that on a very practical level for the procedure of IVF, a woman needs to be on birth control pills. And then in the long term, women who have been on hormonal birth control can struggle with infertility and then be tempted to use IVF. So it has an intellectual philosophical connection where they're both undermining the nature of the sexual act, but they also have a um, connected on a practical level of how they tie into each other. And always, you know, distorting the nature of a thing. You know, I think it's, you know, this is why the church has such a great, beautiful teaching, because mm-hmm. she's always for the good of the human person, for the flourishing of the human person. So mm-hmm. here, you know, many people don't always understand why the church takes the stance that she does and has and always will, mm-hmm. because we're talking about the nature of the human person, mm-hmm. and we're talking about the dignity and the nature of marriage, and we're, ta- and we're speaking about the nature of the conjugal act. Mm-hmm. So even if we were speaking about a barrier method, Mm-hmm. All right, you know, of contraception or interruptus, we still would be talking the same language. Mm-hmm. The artificial method or the technical method doesn't change the conversation. The conversation is still the same because we've employed a means and, and I performed an act that is contrary to the nature and mm-hmm. purpose of marriage and the nature and purpose of the conjugal act, procreative and unitive. As I said, they're inseparable. So as a result, we have changed both realities. And so a couple can, like I mentioned earlier about my, uh, before we came on, on online, that, you know, uh, have a cup here that maybe they see in, the, in, in our video, and that I can, the cup has a purpose. It was created for the purpose of holding fluid. It has a handle so that I can pick it up. But I can use the cup to hold pencils. I can use the cup to put my, my phone in if it fit. So, and so it can function in other ways but it's not the very nature of what the cup was created for. Mm -hmm. And so we do the same thing with ourselves, you know, and we can, we can definitely do many things because we have the freedom to do so, but, but they go against or oppose the very nature of what the act is meant to be Mm -hmm. and how I'm supposed to respond to that act. And, and so, and cooperate, which I return back to what I said, you know, so when a, when a, when a married couple, you know, through their marital union, through the conjugal love that they express with one another, with the openness to human life, it is a petitioning of God. It's saying, Lord, we are performing, and I don't use performance in a performing kind of way, but this very act in which we offer to each other and with each other, mm-hmm. its very nature is the possibility and potential of a third person. And we are open to that, and we welcome that, if it be in your holy will. So we're petitioning God. On the opposite, if I change that act like an in vitro fertilization or other technical means that help engender children mm-hmm. it's no longer a petitioning it's an entitlement i am now no longer dependent upon god's providence and trusting in that providence i've now employed a means to take control of it myself you're trying to take its place in a sense. Right. it's like frankenstein 
Right. That's like the whole point of the book of Frankenstein where the scientist is trying to create a human being because he wants. And so, yeah, anyway, I won't go into the literary elements of that book, but yeah. it's the same kind of idea where Dr. Frankenstein is trying to create a human. Right. Um, it's also interesting going back to the infertility and birth control because birth control can often mask an underlying problem, which is causing infertility. Because a lot of times teenage girls, if they're struggling with different hormonal imbalances, they're put on birth control and they don't realize that they actually have something like endometriosis or something like that. So when they get off the pill, they still have this underlying problem that's never actually been dealt with and they're, it's going right. to cause them to, they sometimes can struggle that way as well. Right. It's, so. why, it's why parents... Uh, you know, should really speak to their doctors. And there are mm -hmm. other medications out there mm -hmm. to treat, you know, some of the things that you're mentioning. And so we, we need to take a more active role in conversing with, with doctors. A lot of times, respectfully, doctors mm -hmm. may take an easier path because they're familiar with a certain drug and how it works. Uh, and again, there, yeah. no thought at all of any contraceptive means or no thought at all of employing that. Mm -hmm. But it is a consequence. They're trying it. to do it to balance hormones, not to right. avoid children. Because, but, but there are other means of, of, of moving forward. And mm -hmm. I think it's important for parents to really ask those kinds of questions, mm -hmm. you know, for the good and well-being of their daughters. Well, it's just healing the actual underlying problem instead right. of just putting a mask on it, instead of covering it up with Correct. synthetic hormones. Correct. And we'll do a whole episode on the, the effects of birth mm -hmm. control on women's health, which will be really interesting because... I think it's a woman's fertility is so complex and I think it's really easy to be like, here's an easy pill. Take it every day. It'll mask all your problems, but it's really just tricking your body into thinking it's pregnant. Well, so, it, but it also goes back, you know, just returning. I think it's a, that's a beautiful way of looking at how wondrously woman is made, how beautifully man is made and that together they bring this beautiful gift to each other mm -hmm. that only she can bring and only he can offer. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's both of them coming together in this moment of opportunity of love and shared love and intimate love and a union that is bonding them to each other for a lifetime yeah. that they offer that to each other. And, and, and so it, it, see how God's hand, you know, has created something so beautiful. It's interesting because I feel like this has never actually occurred to me before until we were talking about this on the podcast, but we were talking, you were talking about how sex is obviously procreative, but it's also bringing the couple together in that friendship. And it made me think of what Dr. Pat Fagan said when he was on the podcast a few months ago. He was saying that the most important thing that like a parents can do for their children is to love each other. That the love between the husband and the wife does more for the child than the love from each individual parent bestowed on the child. That the children bask and so it in the children bask in the love of the parents. Right. And so it's so interesting that God created it to an act that will bring the husband and wife together and increase that love so that their child can then bask in the love of the so parents. So we can say a child has rights too. Yes. And so the child has a right to be welcomed in that in that union. A child has a right to be engendered in a welcoming environment, engendered, you know, uh, in in a home, a, a womb that welcomes it, you know, in an act of love and not an act of entitlement. Exactly. And so the right of the child comes into this very much, you know. And as you just said, and so this is how God has created this this wonderful haven, this wonderful environment of of love, and to know that that every child is welcome. So for parents, you know, to express that, you know, to their children, that you know that, and for a child as they age to realize that it's by this act, you know, this conjugal love of mom and dad that I have been brought into this world, that they wanted me, they desired me, they, they longed for me. And that's something beautiful to know that we wanted, you know, kind of, you know, in a way, if we kind of turn just for a moment, you know, I think it's Abby Johnson, the, you know, with the, the book Unwanted, 
you know, unplanned. Uh, unplanned, sorry, unplanned, you know, but there's a, there's a, a language to have wanted, but yeah, unplanned, sorry. And, and, but you look at this as, think about that, that mindset that that creates, that I was unplanned, you know, when someone says that, when, you know, you, you weren't really begotten, you know, in, a, in, a, in an open way. It implies that we didn't really want you. Right. And so it kind of almost an unwanted, mm-hmm. you weren't desired. And I guess probably I'm sticking to that word, but it's it's uh, maybe change the title of the book. Uh, but it, but it does bespeak a language, yeah. you know. And sadly, I've heard you know uh, children tell me this, you know, that uh, now are adults mm-hmm. because they realize that you know that they they were not begotten, you know, in in a, in a union of love, but in a moment of promiscuity or something. I'm just I just bring that up so that we we it goes back to what we're talking about that mm-hmm. a home. A place of safety. I think it's hard to talk about that in today's society too, because you don't want women to think that the solution to an unplanned pregnancy obviously is abortion. So it's like trying to have that tension. There's that tension there between the language of being able to say, you don't want to tell a child like, oh, you were unplanned or using that phrase because you don't want the child to feel like they weren't wanted. But also the flip side to having an unplanned pregnancy isn't abortion. So being able to be careful about how we talk about it and acknowledge that an act like an unplanned pregnancy, especially outside of marriage, obviously that was a sinful right. act. But that child is still needs to be accepted and loved it's and wanted, and that the child has a right to That's live. Right. right, made in the image and likeness of God, mm-hmm. and so absolutely, no, absolutely, it's it's always you know, and I think it just goes back. Contraception opposes the nature of an act, so mm-hmm. by walking into that act, already opposed to the fruit mm-hmm. of this act, which so naturally. Uh, begets a child, if, if all things, and that, but the mindset is, I'm opposed to that already. Mm-hmm. So that leads to the other thing that you've already mentioned, that leads at least to the abortion mindset. But mm-hmm. I, I admire many, many women and many men, mm-hmm. you know, who did not intend to become mothers and fathers in this, this act, uh, and, and yet become moms and dads and welcome life. Mm-hmm. They they understand the responsibility and they accept the, the responsibility that this child has been begotten by their own union. Mm-hmm. You know whether uh, we uh, within marriage or or, in, or not that this child is going to be loved nonetheless. And I think that again it recognizes that you know there's a there's a responsibility and yeah. there's a duty toward this child. You know so that's a different podcast, different conversation. But but I, you can see how as you've done so beautifully, Colleen how we connecting the dots mm-hmm. that they really are connected taking two things that seem fundamentally opposed right. to each other and showing that right. i mean it shows goes down to virtue virtue right. is the mean between extremes these are the two extremes right. that both kind of come from the same misunderstanding about the sexual act exactly. and the nature of marriage exactly and, and obviously the balance is beauty in the middle where you have an act that's open to the life good. without the good. demanding right and and i think that's what i love again not think i love about our church is she's not arbitrary her yeah. teachings apply yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and it's not the so not the artificial that becomes her focus. Mm-hmm. It's the nature of the act. It's what has been what's been violated, mm-hmm. and so that's why we know that there are certain technical interventions, medical interventions that are listed, mm-hmm. and we can talk about that one day with assisted reproductive technologies, like NAPRO technology, for example. You know, uh, respects the nature of the act respects the nature of marriage, respects the nature of the conjugal act, and assists couples, you know, through the Creighton model and so forth. And we can talk about those one day in a different podcast, but mm-hmm. I, I really believe that so sadly, if we focus only on married couples, and, and this last point is that because only within marriage is yes. the conjugal act meant to be expressed. So there are moral means to assist our couples 
who may be struggling from a, a, an infertility, a, a period of infertility, or maybe long-term issues. But when they don't hear us as a church, our experts in the field, our doctors and our nurses in their vocation of medicine, our priest and our evangelist and catechist and marriage, marriage prep, never talk about it. So where is the couple going to find themselves when they, when they may be struggling? They're going to turn toward science and science alone, and they might find a doctor who might be moral in the sense of uh, understanding the principles of Catholic faith, may not. And all of a sudden, they find themselves being encouraged in a means that is not moral and unknowingly enter into something and the harm that is done to themselves, the harm that is done to their marriage, the harm that is done to the child and children, they're unaware of it. We must have these conversations, Colleen, and I think I'm very, you know, very, again, not think, but proud of, of the fact that we have this opportunity. And I just really call upon, you know, any of our priests that may be listening uh, to this is, you know, what are we doing as priests to shepherd our people, to guide them, to be there? We don't have to be the expert in everything. You know, mm -hmm. you and I have been talking about some some very technical issues that we can we can learn and we can express, but we can rely upon others who are experts in those fields to come in and talk about them in a, in a deeper way, and to uh, but to be guided by those principles. We need to be in that conversation. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Father. This was a really good episode. So thank, thank you, you for Colin. joining us. Look forward to being with you again soon. Yes. To all of our listeners, please like, subscribe, um, turn on notifications. If you're listening on our audio platforms, please follow us and leave us a five-star review. And check out the new eBooks that we have coming up. And keep on living the culture of life. God bless. <laughs>